Awesome. Thank you. Let's pray. Set our hearts and minds on things above, O oh God, where Christ dwells. For we know, as we've been taught, that better is one day in your house, in your courts, than thousands elsewhere. While our feet and our bodies may live in this world, let our hearts and our minds live with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for being patient. And as I promised last week, I do not have any vegetable quizzes for you. Nothing like that. So we're, we're done with that for at least a week. I do also want to let you know that Matt McLean, our director of communications, is still employed with us. He, he was neither fired nor did he quit, although, although the uh, counseling that he requires now defending that peas are in fact fruits and not vegetables, that's a big deal. Last week we had a little quiz where you had to choose whether a vegetable was a, or a, a picture was either a fruit or a vegetable picture, and there was a pea picture, a picture of a pea pod, and peas happened to be fruits. Well, let me just say it got raucous last week. We had to eject some people, call the police. It's fine. Things got real at Shepherd of the Desert. Well, I'm excited to be here and uh, to get into our second week of Daniel. Again, to commend you, um, we don't want to read Scripture in snapshots. We just don't want to have little snippets of Scripture. God wrote the entire Bible, and it's long with no pictures. I'm allowing for that. But sometimes we have to read an expansive part of Scripture to really appreciate what was going on. And, and I think, I, I hope, right, that Daniel 2 was long. Thank you. Great reading. A plus. Where's our reader at? Just, let's give her a round of applause. I mean, e extra bottle of water for you today. So bonus on that. Um, but you, you, you did appreciate this, right? As, as that narrative moved forward, the kingdom is being spoken of, the eternal kingdom of our God, his authority, how, how it came to be at the end that Nebuchadnezzar got a clue, and though he was something great and powerful in this Oz-like world that we live in here, Wizard of Oz-like world, there is a God behind the curtain, the one true and real God who really moves forward all of history. And for that reason, Daniel lives. And that's why we are studying Daniel in this time and season of a kind of exile when we as Christians feel disenfranchised, maybe disconnected from the culture that we've had such dominance in over the course of millennia, well, not millennia, centuries, let's say. Um, we feel that we're in a little bit of an exile in terms of the influence, stature that we can have in this culture of ours in 21st century America. Daniel felt that for sure, and so I've chosen this prophecy as an opportunity for us to really um, understand what it is God may be calling us to in terms of obedience and mission and service and faithfulness in this time. So why Daniel? Well, there's a couple reasons. The first is that in Daniel, God is wanting to increase our courage Increase our courage for the contest. We are in a contest. Lives hang in the balance. Eternity is on the line. And therefore, Daniel is a book that after reading through its 14, uh, 12, 14 chapters, right? Uh, 12 chapters, there is an increasing courage that bubbles up because of it and faithful reading of it. Secondly, it's to increase confidence that God is winning. God is, in fact, winning this war. 
He's in the fight. And while Daniel and his friends certainly could have looked what was literally before their eyes, looked at what was before their eyes, the reality is they saw a different reality. And their hearts and minds were set there. So Daniel is written to increase in anybody who reads this book the confidence that God is in fact winning. Don't believe what you see. Um, to borrow on a very significant and thick cultural phrase, that, my friends, is fake news. That's fake news. The truth, the real CNN Fox News that is truly fair, just, and balanced is the word of God that comes to us in Scripture. We as Christians are called to give our attention to that news source over and above all else. Now, to step back for a second and just uh, to take a, a, a seminary second here and think about prophecy, because Daniel is a book of prophecy. It is in a whole section of the Old Testament called the prophetic books of the Old Testament. There are three sections of the Old Testament. There's the historical writings of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. It tells the history of Israel, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. That's the historical writings. Then there are just the writings which would be like the psalm worship book, the book of Proverbs, of that kind of thing, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And then there is the third section, and that is the prophets. So the historical books, the writings, and the prophets. We are in the prophets, and the prophets have two purposes. The first purpose is what we always associate with prophets, and that is foretelling. Uh, a prophecy by its very definition is, I'm going to tell you the future. And the prophets of the Old Testament, they certainly do that. They tell what the future is. But there's a second value to the prophets, and that is that they always tell the truth. They always tell the truth. And so you can read through the prophecies of the Old Testament, and you can not only, at the same time as you're reading about what's coming down the road in the future, you're also reading the truth about why that future is coming the way it is. So there's foretelling, and then there's forth-telling. I am going to speak forth the truth of God. Daniel is doing both of these things. On the one hand, in today's reading, we saw Daniel telling the future. King Nebuchadnezzar, as great as you are, after you die, you will die, when you die, this kingdom that you have amassed and over which you are a gold-headed statue, when you die, this kingdom is ultimately going to turn into rubble. Because here's the truth. The truth is that there is only one God. There is only one King of kings and Lord of lords. And while you may be it in this world to the naked eye for a time, the fact of the matter is, and the insight that I need to bring to you as a wise prophet is that your days are numbered. And to give a little wink to what's coming in chapters 3 and 4, the writing is on the wall. If you don't think it is, just wait till the next dream comes because you're going to absolutely wither with fear when the God of heaven and earth starts writing on the wall. 
He is about to come and sift you. Last week, we started with the resolution. The ultimate uh, starting resolution while in exile is this, I will not defile myself. We talked about when vegetables are really fruits. Daniel was challenged to eat meat and wine. He decided to only eat vegetables. The fruit of his faith was found in the vegetables that he was eating. His obedience to God was determined when he said, I'm only eating fruits and vegetables. And God blessed him for that. Last week, I invited you as a resolution, a higher resolution to adopt the truth and the statement, I will not defile myself. Can I just uh, say as a sidebar, man, is that tough. Isn't that brutal? I mean, I was out golfing and I put on my golf playlist with some church members and my golf playlist is all top 40 songs over the past and particularly from the 1980s because I like my 1980s songs. And as my top 40 songs from the 1980s were playing, my Aerosmith song in particular, I was like, oh gosh, um, pause. It's amazing. My point is, for all of us, it just is amazing what, what and where those places in our lives where we have just gotten used to a level of living with sinfulness and living with a deviate, deviant kind of view of what is reality. Um, and I'm not trying to be a killjoy here, but I kind of am right now as I think about my own life. Um, and maybe just invite you to think about that phrase, I will not defile myself. Where is it in your life that you can make an incremental step in holiness? Um, I'm not asking you to get rid of your Spotify playlist unless maybe you need to get rid of your Spotify playlist. You know? Um, it's just a, a huge, huge uh, statement from Daniel chapter 1. Well, now we're into another place, and I want to give you a picture today. A picture today of a cliff jumper. How many of you have ever jumped off a cliff into water? Um, how many of you are in a wheelchair currently because of it? Anybody? Anybody, my, um, my goddaughter who lives here in Phoenix with her husband, Matt, Matt is a professional skydiver. He's done 10,000 jumps. He gets flown down to Costa Rica for free frequently so that he can jump off mountains or something like that. Matt constantly is saying to me, Scott, why don't, why don't you come up and let's go skydiving? I mean, I'll just tape you with duct tape to my chest and we'll just jump out of a plane and it's going to be fine. I've done it 10,000 times. What can go wrong? Well, on the 10,000 first time in the newspaper, Matt died along with a guy named Scott who was taped with duct tape to his chest. That's what could go wrong. That's what could go wrong. God made me with feet, and he calls us, he made also something that's called gravity to hold us onto this earth. The only time I go up in the sky is when I'm in a steel tube and I'm pretending that there's nothing else outside me except the ground, which there is 31,000 feet below. My point is simply this this picture, that kind of story, is what God is calling us to next. He calls us to take a leap of faithfulness even to the faithless. Daniel had to determine that he was going to be faithful even to the faithless. He had been taken out of the promised land flowing with milk and honey that God had promised on his oath to his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, way back in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. And now Daniel's been plucked from that. He's been set in a different place. He got a new name, new food, new dress. He didn't eat the food, by the way. And he's got a new job. 
And what is he going to bring to bear? Daniel determines they can change everything about me, but I will remain faithful. Now it's about his choice that as everyone else around him lives according to a, dis, a different set of customs, he, a, a different creed, Daniel says, no, I will never forget the God who put me into motion through creation, who has called me through a covenant relationship to be his own forever. I'm not going to forget that creating, covenanting God. I'm going to follow him. And so, what does that mean? What does that mean for Daniel? Well, it means a few things. First of all, Daniel chapter 2 is a story that expects wisdom. Daniel walks around in life and he expects that God is going to give him wisdom. One of the most important things we can have in exile is wisdom. Because wisdom is something that you can have even when you don't have cultural power. A wise person living in a place of weakness in our culture can still be a blessing. Uh, just read, if you want something devotionally to do, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs are great books, or great chapters that reinforce the idea that one of the core things a Christian, a follower of God is to do, is to seek wisdom. Why? In chapter 4 it says, because it is your life. Seek wisdom because it's your life. Wisdom is not knowledge, although it involves knowledge. Wisdom is not just experience, though it does work from experience. Gray hair crowns the heads of the wise, those who have had the experience of life. But wisdom is more than anything the ability to act righteously in relationship with others, to be faithful to God, but also recognize that they are in their own journey. Daniel realizes that he is in a place where Nebuchadnezzar, as a creation of God, is in a journey. And so, Daniel chapter 2 also bleeds sacrifice. Daniel is willing to make the sacrifice for those faithless around him because he realizes that God is faithful. Daniel chapter 2 oozes mission. I hope you didn't miss, by the way, that um, the wise men of Babylon were about to get offed, executed by the king. And on their behalf, Daniel stepped up in order not only to save his skin, but to save theirs as well. Now think of it. Just, I, I just thought about this in the last service as I was preaching it. You know, if I had a choice... Um, if I was in Daniel's shoes and I had what I believed to be the truth of God's word in my heart and in my mouth and had the opportunity to get every opposing voice taken out, I might take that. Sounds awful to say, but Daniel was in a place where every opposition to him could have been neutralized. Daniel not only stood up to save his own skin, he stood up to save theirs as well. And in saving theirs, he unapologetically also stepped forward to preach and proclaim the matchless name of his God. And because he did, by the way, he muted them even more powerfully than if he had had them executed. Because that entire kingdom, at least for a time, with the king, fell down before the name of God. And acknowledged him to be the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who puts all authority into motion in this world. Just think about that for a second. 
That's crazy. You see, Daniel had his heart set on things above. He was singing the song or the psalm, better is one day in your house, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Amen. And Daniel lived that out. Now, let me ask you this. Here's my question. And it really is a question for me that that comes out of Daniel chapter 2, and and it's a gut check kind of question. It may catch you by surprise, and here's the question. Daniel, shepherd, are you proud of your God and the congregation he has assembled here at Shepherd? Are you proud of your God, the congregation he's assembled here at Shepherd? I ask you that question because in some way, Daniel had to be in his heart of hearts able to say, I'm proud of my God. I'm not ashamed to speak up for him. I'm not ashamed to be in the company of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And because I am proud of my God, I am trusting in him. Therefore, I'll stand before kings and governors and I will wait for the Lord to give me a word to speak and when he does, I will prophesy truth and I will prophesy a future that will simply beat all. And I think about that here at Shepherd because, you know, we are are prophetic. This congregation is in a prophetic moment of American history. Uh, Maybe in, 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 in earlier times we could be more historical books or we could be more psalms and writings, but right now we are in a prophetic moment. The Christian church is invited to stand up and speak out about what is truth with compassion, but also to speak truth in view of what God is doing, drawing us to the future of eternity. We're not just living in order to amass a lot of toys in this life and then give up the ghost and be buried under the grass. There is an eternity that we set our hearts and minds on. In this past week, I've had a number of instances where my son, Connor, uh, especially, and even Andrew Armstrong, in, in one, uh, our chief operating officer, in another instance, um, they know now, especially my son, Connor, if my dad starts talking with a complete stranger, it's going to be at least 10 minutes, you know? Because I just like to talk with people, and I'm having so much fun right now in ministry. And one of the things that I want you to know is that I am proud of this congregation. I am proud, first of all, of my God. I want people to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But I want them to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior by coming to this church. I have invited more people to shepherd of the desert in a shorter period of time than I think at any other point in my ministry. Because I'm just having a blast here. And I say that because it's easy when sometimes as a congregation you go through some hard times as Shepherd of the Desert has gone through, it's easy to kind of, you know, get kind of grumpy or hardened in your spirit or embarrassed a little bit or whatnot, and you lose the joy and you lose the hope. We're resetting right now as a congregation, and so I ask the question, are you proud of your God in this congregation? Because I think you are. Now let's act on it. And, and just to say, there's no harm or foul in going through tough times. Um, there's, there's tough times and sometimes um, less invite-worthy times in every organization. Churches, families. I mean, there have been times in my own family when my daughters and my son, they'd be like, oh gosh, I cannot believe I am so embarrassed by my mom and my dad. I can't believe God, you gave me Scott and Renee. What were you thinking? I'm so embarrassed. You know, they are embarrassed by me. 
Your children are embarrassed by you at various points. Your grandkids are going to be embarrassed by you as well. Look, get over it. And over the course of time, in some, they're more proud of you than they're not. Right? And we want to be proud of our congregation. Um, I'm proud of our congregation because I got to meet three of our youngest members. Maisie, uh, London, and Ellie. Uh, three uh, young couples with newborn or newer born baby girls are joining and coming into our congregational family. And I'm proud that they're coming in to meet you. And you should be proud to have them. And they may bring their babies into our 8 o'clock or 9.30 or 11 o'clock service here at Shea and those babies may squawk. And if they squawk and bother you, then just move up to the front and be non-Lutheran for a while. Let them be the true Lutherans in the back and you come up and be Presbyterian or Baptist or whatever and I'll scream at you for a while. I can do this. You have no idea what I can do. But my point is, is that crying babies are the sign of a healthy church and we've got some crying babies coming in. I met Ellie yesterday and let me tell you, she's going to give her parents a run for their money. I mean, she is not a shrinking violet and she's only, you know, hardly two years old, going to be baptized here. And so we celebrate that. And I think that her parents, Ryan and Colleen, are proud. They're proud to meet me as their pastor, and I think they're, they're looking forward to being proud. They want to be proud of their congregation because in this culture, it's easy to be ashamed and embarrassed to be a Christian. Um, but we don't have to be that way because we've got a God who loves and is patient with us as we move through the changes and repentance of life. I was, uh, where's Vernon at? Vernon Borcherding, where did he go? Vernon, hey Vernon. I, I love Vernon, came into my office uh, this day and he brought me a, um, a, a box of um, carvings. I'm not sure, Vernon, how you do those carvings and don't cut off your fingers. I mean, I'm not sure if those are prophetic finger, prosthetic fingers you've got on there, but these beautiful carved pieces of wood that Jesus and crosses and um, uh, uh, wolves howling at saguaro cactuses and, and the whole nine yards. And, and you know what that said to me? It said, I'm proud to be a member here at Shepherd. And I want to give you a bunch of stuff because, frankly, I may have too much of it and my wife wants me to get rid of it. That's fine. I understand that. We receive it. It's in my house now. But also because I want to pass on my talents in some way. You know, uh, uh, we can't all be preachers. But we can be woodworkers. We can be care shepherds. We can be new member uh, shepherds. We can be confirmation shepherds. A lot of shepherding goes on here at Shepherd. In case you're new, there's a lot of shepherds. Let me just tell you, I'm learning all about the shepherds. But, you know, there's so many different ways to express the fact I'm proud of my church. I'm proud of my pastor. I'm proud of my God. I'm proud of the community. I'm proud of my Bible study, my mission group. Daniel was a prophet because he was proud of the God that made him and redeemed him when he was a little child. And now when he found himself in a very adult world in exile, that pride still stuck. I hope as the days go by, in the ministry staff, but especially in the congregation, you have reason to be proud of your God and this particular congregation. I want to wrap up by sharing with you a word from 2 Timothy chapter 3 because I, I do remind you what I reminded you of last week. As you read the book of Daniel, it would be easy for you to think, man, Daniel is Jesus. 
I mean, he's like really perfect. He does everything right. He eats his vegetables. I mean, his mom and dad must have loved him. I mean, can you imagine? Eat your vegetables. Well, okay. You know, so, so Daniel's got that going. But Daniel was created. He was a descendant of Adam and Eve, just like you and I are. He had sin working in his heart. My assumption is that there were moments in his life when he uh, compromised his integrity. He displayed a lack of faithfulness to God. But God still used him. God can still use you. There's a great word in 2 Timothy in the New Testament of the Bible when Paul is writing to a young man named Timothy who would be a pastor in the city of Ephesus, we think. And uh, Paul wrote this trustworthy saying. Let's read it out together. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. I've talked with a lot of people in depression who are in a really hard fight with their faith in God, and they will say to me, Pastor, I'm so worried that I'm going to deny God and therefore be sent to hell. And, I, and, and, you know, the stock pastoral answer is, as long as you're talking about God, you're probably okay, <laughs> you know? Um, people who deny God just don't want to even talk about him because they've denied him. It's pointless to talk about him. See, it's the second part of the phrase that gives me the greatest hope. If we are faithless, Paul writes, God will remain faithful. He cannot deny himself. You see, because... God calls us through baptism in our baptismal covenant. He calls us to be his children. He puts his name upon us. He puts his life within us. If in a moment of our weakness, when we compromise our integrity, or if we shirk back from the faithfulness that he's calling us to, if in a moment of weakness we do that, God still says, but I still love you. You're still mine to represent me. And I don't mind for you to speak a word. I can use sinners with the best of them. So get up, dust yourself off, let's get at it again. I will never deny myself by being faithless to you. I will always be faithful to you. That's the enduring testimony, witness of Daniel. God is faithful to Daniel and his friends. God is faithful even to King Nebuchadnezzar. God is faithful to us in our mission. God is faithful to you in your service and sacrifice to many, many others in your care. And so be faithful, even in the midst of faithlessness. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to consider once again a prophecy, a great prophecy of the Old Testament. Help us put it into practice by setting our hearts and minds and things above and then, O oh God, doing right by your calling in our lives, obeying your word, following your commandments, being proud of who you are and who you've called us and made us to be in Jesus. Amen.